Welcome to Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering. Around the table on Capital Conversations, you'll hear from the policy team of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, as well as featured guests from outside our D.C. office. Our conversations cover the policy debates and news shaping our world as we aim to connect our Christian theological motivations to political engagement in Washington. Joining me around the table today is our policy team members, Stephen Harris, Chelsea Sobolik, and Lauren Conkle. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Hey, Jeff. All right. So uh, we are back in the office after an MLK Day holiday. So uh, as of recording this, it's Tuesday after a very cold weekend. So quick question before we jump into the rest of our conversation. Did you survive uh, without any sort of uh, frostbite over this very cold holiday weekend? Barely. Barely. <laughs> Lots of coffee. Oh, my gosh. I, I have to say, being from Houston, my blood is not thick enough Mm-mm. for a negative degree wind chill. Stephen, what about you? How, how, how'd you do? Jeff, you know I survived, man. We had our temperature set at about <laughs> 77 uh, in the house. And uh, yeah, we did. We did just fine. We did just fine. <laughs> Lauren, you're, you're from Florida. It doesn't get that cold in Florida. No, we break out our, our winter boots at 70 degrees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and with a wind chill of negative two, man, all you can do is stay inside. I had to go to a coffee at one point during the day and threw on every layer of clothing that I had and <laughs> yes. barely, barely made it. It felt like wind chips were, uh, were slicing through my face. Yeah, you look like the little kid on uh, on A Christmas Story when he gets all done. He can't <laughs> when even he's put frozen. his arms by his side because his jacket's too big. Yeah, yeah my, my dog was, she, so she normally goes on a morning walk and... Uh, yesterday morning when it was like 10 degrees, wind chill yeah. was below zero, and she was huffing and puffing, wanting to go. And I was like, look, we're not. We got to wait till at least noon. And it was still Until cold. 12 degrees outside. I know. I know. It was crazy. <laughs> so toward the later part of last week, the ERLC hosted our annual Evangelicals for Life conference. EFL, as you've heard on this podcast for the last couple of months in our promo, uh, is a conference for church leaders uh, and church members alike to come to Washington around the annual March for Life and discuss issues of life, discuss issues of what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means for us to stand against in the March for Life, to stand against abortion in this country. March for Life is on the annual anniversary of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in this country, Uh, but also to carry that pro-life ethic throughout all parts of our life. What does it mean to care for the immigrant as the immigrant is made in the image of God? What does that ethic mean then for our criminal justice system? What does that ethic mean for the way we think of -of end-of-life care? So our Evangelicals for Life conference is always just a terrific time. I know it's 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 often a highlight for the ERLC's policy team here in D.C. Uh, for just one reason, it's a really fun time that we get to host all of our staff members from Nashville and around the rest of the country. They come to Washington, and we actually got to give them a tour of our office. We did some renovations uh, with our growing team this last year, so it was the first time that we got to walk through the office with the rest of our Nashville team. And so, you know, sort of selfishly, it's it's fun just for us as a team to all be together and for us in D.C. to host the rest of the ERLC here in, in Washington. But the content of the conference is always very encouraging and, and challenging. 
challenging. Uh, I know to me in in my own faith, uh, and I know to to the rest of our staff and those who attend, it's a it's a great time. So I thought on this episode of Capital Conversations, uh, the week after our EFL conference, we would just spend some time reflecting on the messages heard, the panel discussions had, and a little bit of meetings that we had on the Hill around the March for Life. Uh, so to our table here, I'll just uh, throw this first question out there, and whoever wants to whoever wants to start can start. What was your favorite part of this year's Evangelicals for Life conference? Well, Jeff, I'll start because I'm going to talk at the level of idea, and it dovetails with how you introduced the conference. So for mm-hmm. me, the way in which we have framed this conference, and I think it just showed forth, especially this year, we talk at the level of kind of biblical and theological concern for uh, the Imago Day, for human dignity, for human flourishing, and us kind of couching and setting uh, our pro-life ethic in those biblical and theological terms allows us then to talk about the ways in which those theological foundations touch on other issues. And so I just really appreciate the way in which we have to give people a theological vision for rooting their pro-life ethic uh, and and setting it in such a way where they can then see the natural flow of what a pro-life ethic in in its fullest sense uh, would 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 urge them to give to give concern to. I mean, we live in a day where moral concern over a range of issues, rightly so, just kind of pull at the heart. And I think people are are trying to think about the ways in which to talk about them and the ways in which to kind of compel others to get involved in the work that they care about. And I I appreciate how we're thinking holistically from womb to tomb about our pro-life ethic, because I think in this, in our current cultural moment, that commends itself. And so to see a conference kind of framed and shaped that way, for me, it's encouraging to hear those conversations finally take off. I I personally had some conversations with attendees who, uh, one particular lady um, ran a a pregnancy resource center um, down in the South. and, And she mentioned to me that before coming to this conference, she'd only kind of thought of pro-life issues as abortion and those types of um, pre-birth issues. But Mm. after coming to the conference and after listening to conversations on um, adoption, foster care, Mm. criminal justice, persecuted Christians, um, you name it, we probably talked about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and she left real, and she told me she left really encouraged having that more robust Um, worldview on what it truly means to be pro-life. So I was really encouraged just by those one-on-one conversations of hearing that um, the purpose of the conference really was making an impact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and just to add one more final point to it, I mean, for me, conceptually, the notion of being pro-life has always had a kind of heavy weight to it. Mm. Um, and I think one of the, the the interesting things about it is that, that, is that framing it this way it actually affirms the heaviness of that weight, right? Mm-hmm. Like in addition mm-hmm. to the 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 moral tragedy surrounding the Roe versus Wade decision, all that has been invested in uh, the pro-life movement as traditionally conceived, uh, it's almost as if we're saying, you know, being pro-life is that and even more of a moral and ethical responsibility yeah, right. and burden. Um, and so it just adds more gravitas to mm-hmm. the notion. Uh, yeah. And I think it kind of fills it out as, as an ethical framework and gives people a, a more fuller a moral imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? What, what were some other highlights of the conference? I know for me, I was uh, particularly excited to see Stephen Curtis Chapman in concert. So here, I, here. He, yeah, <laughs> man— 
golly, it, it, it took me back. I mean, to when my brother and I, uh, were little in our first home playing, <laughs> I, I would like play the drums made up of different like little buckets from the kitchen and he'd play his guitar. We were both in our cowboy hats and big buckles and little red boots for Saddle this is the horses. great adventure. Saddle <laughs> yes. up your horses. So when he got us started on Wednesday night, um, that was that was a, a highlight for me. And then to hear he and his wife, Mary Beth, talk about their own family story in adoption and, and what it means for us to have this, this whole life pro-life ethic that here were these people that because of God's moving in their own life have now been yeah. a part of hundreds, if not mm-hmm. thousands, probably mm-hmm. thousands of stories of taking care of widows and orphans. Uh, all throughout the world, and and helping families through through their organization show hope, grow their families, and and what it means to care for not just the unborn but the born, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was yeah mm-hmm. that 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 was a highlight for me, and and I know probably was a common refrain probably for some of you as well that Stephen Curtis Chapman being there uh, was a really awesome time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff Stephen Curtis Chapman being at the concert was definitely my favorite part as well. Um, it was really special. Uh, one moment he played the song "When Love Takes You In," mm-hmm. and this song tells the story of a child who's waiting somewhere in the world to be brought home to their forever family. And actually, you speaking of just the role they played in many people's lives. Yeah, fourteen years ago, that song was the background song in my little sister Anna's a Pay's adoption video. Mm-hmm. And fourteen That's years awesome. ago, my mom and dad went to China to bring Anna home. Mm-hmm. Mary Beth, Stephen's wife, was actually in China, mm-hmm. and they were able to meet. Oh, and so no way. ever since that time, they have played a role in our family, 10 children, mm-hmm. five adoptions later, but also in the story of so many families, mm-hmm. many of whom were at EFL this year, and finally got to see worlds collide mm-hmm. of organizations like the ERLC and organizations like Show Hope, who have encouraged, in equi- who I interned yep. for in the past, and yep. so to see my worlds and other people's worlds collide was a really, really special moment because their family has played such an important role in the type of adoption and foster care advocacy yeah. that we do here mm-hmm. at the ERLC and having them and the Gettys and other bigger names at the conference who have just such special family stories was a really neat moment for the conference. Mm-hmm. So speaking more about Show Hope, just because I, I did feel like with the Chapmans being there at each day of the conference and talking about Show Hope, mm-hmm. there there was a little bit of a theme of them. And so I was just thinking about the own uh, some of my own uh, family friends who received Show Hope mm-hmm. grants mm-hmm. and just thinking of each one of those uh, children mm-hmm. who are now in their forever families because of their work. When I was at Texas A&M, our, uh, there, was a, there was a Bible study on campus that each year would do a fundraiser. Uh, it was called Breakaway, uh, led by Ben Stewart, uh, who's now here in D.C. Uh, and anyway, one year, Show Hope was the mm-hmm. beneficiary, and that was kind of right at the time that our family friends got a grant. And so mm-hmm. they always like to think that it was those college students' donation mm-hmm. to Show Hope that eventually uh, brought, their, brought their daughter home. That's cool. It's really cool. Full disclosure, Lauren, it was my first time ever hearing the song When Love Takes You In, and it had me in my feelings. Oh, <laughs> man. It, it's one of, it's one of those songs. I was crying. with that. I was um, crying. And, and the video that they play with it <laughs> is all of these yeah, short video. Ad, it's all know. these short video clips recorded over the years yeah. of mm-hmm. children being placed into the arms mm-hmm. of truly their forever oh. families. And just the picture of the gospel mm-hmm. that that is is so special. And for me to see my family's story yeah. kind of pictured there and to see the stories of so many mm-hmm. others is really a testament to the way that God's working in and through adoption and through broken families to bring restoration even while we're here on earth. Mm-hmm. 
obviously uh, the Chapman story and the story of adoption and taking care of, of of the orphan was was a theme of the conference and, and particularly the first morning session. So so mm-hmm. let me just read through here the the titles of some of our keynotes and and panels in case you weren't uh, following along with the live stream. And uh, as as the ERLC does uh, for for almost all of our conferences, uh, we will be slowly but surely getting all of this content out there on all of our various channels for people to hear because it was really, really encouraging stuff. So here's some of the some of the titles from from that morning session. Dr. Moore opened us up with a keynote titled Adopted for Life, Loving Our Fatherless Neighbors. Mm-hmm. Then he had a conversation with the Chapmans uh, about orphans, adoption, and the heart of God. We then talked about the church and the orphan crisis, creating an adoption culture, uh, which was a panel, Chelsea, that you were on, which we'll talk more about here in a bit. And then we talked about Will Roe Go. So again, uh, with this conference coming at the uh, annual anniversary of uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, our own uh, Travis Wusso had a conversation with an ADF attorney, Kristen Wagner, um, about, about Roe v. Wade. The afternoon session covered uh, topics such as the church on the margins, the gospel in the world's most vulnerable, which was a keynote by World Magazine's Mindy Bells. Then we discussed caring for the stranger, immigrants, refugees, and the response of the church. Talked about sojourners and strangers, loving our immigrant neighbor with a keynote from Afshin Ziafat, a pastor in North Texas who's from Iran. Then Dan Darling uh, brought brought his own... Um, his own views of this issue from the Dignity Revolution, which was uh, a talk titled No Matter How Small, dipping into uh, Horton Hears a Who, Dr. Seuss's vision of human dignity. Um, then we talked about remembering those in prison, uh, which was a panel that, Stephen, mm-hmm. you led, the church and criminal justice reform. Uh, and then uh, we talked about what it means uh, for there to be racial unity in the church. And J.D. Greer and Dehati Lewis led us in a candid conversation. So we covered a lot, and that was just the first part of the day. Uh, so Chelsea and, and Stephen, I want to come to you to talk about those two panels that you were a part of uh, early on in the day. Chelsea, let, let's actually start mm-hmm. with you since we've been talking about adoption and, and orphan care. Tell us more about what all you you discussed on your panel. Yeah, so it, it followed the panel followed up some really good discussions from the Chapmans and from um, Dr. Moore, and we had a little bit more of a um, I would say practical conversation. I talked about some of the policy um, conversations that have been happening in D.C. over the past couple of years, uh, specifically highlighting um, the adoption tax credit, which was removed and then it was put back in uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, the panel also talked about um, the church getting involved um, and how how the church could love the vulnerable, um, both domestically and abroad. And as I've shared on the podcast before, I do have my own personal connection to this right. issue. So it's it's near and dear to my heart. And I love that we get to have this conversation, especially around the issue of abortion, because when the church really does step in and offer a solution and offer a way um, for those children to be cared for, it completely changes the anti-abortion conversation. Uh, I used to volunteer at a pregnancy resource center and was chatting with a lady who had had several abortions. And I, I, after getting to know her for a while, I, I said, you know, I'm adopted. Have you ever considered adoption for your child? Mm. And she equated um, the foster care system with adoption, and the foster care system is just so so bad in, in so many aspects. And she said, I would rather abort my child mm. than, than have it go into foster care or to, to be adopted. And she just didn't know the choices that she had as a, a prospective uh, birth mom yeah. for 
placing her child and making that that loving decision. So I, I think it's a really neat way as we continue to educate and then to continue to have these conversations and show women that there all are other alternatives. I think it's a really neat way the church and our organization can step in and continue to provide options. Yeah, one of one of the things that I took away from from that panel in particular was just the call to continue to provide a better alternative mm-hmm. for women and children in crisis. Mm-hmm. I know just as a as a Christian man, as a prospective father and thinking about mm-hmm. bringing my son into this mm-hmm. world uh, here in a couple of weeks, um just what kind of what kind of church do do I want him to be a part of and and what kind of community right. do I want that do we see those people who are all too often invisible mm-hmm. like the woman that you were talking mm-hmm. about who says it would be it would be better if we just went with abortion rather than like we we've got to continue as a church to offer better better options yeah. for for those people and that's mm-hmm. a that's a critical part of mm-hmm. of this issue and, mm-hmm. and of this discussion as a whole and we appreciate Chelsea what what you what you bring to this. Anytime you mention the adoption tax credit around here, it's it's going to bring uh, probably a smile to to most of our faces. <laughs> it was it was a win legislatively yes. <laughs> for us as an organization, but yeah. then it's especially fun to now see you as an ERLC staffer talk about mm-hmm. that because you were a staffer on the hill yes, making the it happen on the inside while we mm-hmm. were advocating for it on the outside. Definitely needed all the the moving parts. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's fun mm-hmm. to have you here now talking about. It. So Stephen, let's talk about uh your panel that you that you led, Remembering Those in Prison, the Church and Criminal Justice Reform. Uh you you had some heavy hitters on that panel. Tell us what you discussed and, and how that fits into a conference on life and human dignity. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some continuity between um, what we were just talking about and some of the themes that my panel discussed on criminal justice reform. Um, you know, we're talking about the potentiality of life and life being lived in a way that speaks to, to human flourishing, uh, speaks to dignity. Another point at which this conversation tethers to what we just discussed is not only talking about the potential of life lived, but also making sure that that we're that we're giving people the dignity that they deserve, even in the midst of brokenness and human sin, mm-hmm. um, and and making sure that that we're thinking about those those subject areas critically. So my panel um, was talking about those theological connections, but also the very particular details of what's going on in the criminal justice space. So we had Heather Rice Minus from Prison Fellowship. We had Julie Warren, who's with Right on Crime. And we also had a pastor at the Bidiani Wheelie, who pastors a church here in Southeast D.C. called Anacostia River Church. And we were just having a conversation about um, how Christians ought to think about this issue and um, just what are some of the details that have been going on recently. Legislation just passed at the end of last year. Uh, the first step back. We've done a lot of policy work on that. Right. Uh, we, so we talked a little bit about the details of that bill. But one of the things that that I, I really was encouraged by, and this came from uh, Julie again, who's with Right on Crime, and we had a, we all talked about it on the panel. But we were talking about this notion of being tough on crime and and how that rhetoric often uh, features uh, as some think about you know what is the right response or right stance on criminals and and just on that entire system. And she made a very important distinction between um, being tough on crime and being tough on a criminal. And she said that oftentimes people who are so adamant about being tough on crime, they equate that with being tough on a criminal. Uh, and she kind of pivoted from that 
uh, talking about what it means to be, you know, wise on crime and smart on crime and, and also compassionate as it relates to those who have committed crimes and then making sure that we have an eye towards the victims of those crimes and the families that are impacted and the communities that are impacted. And so we tried to have this conversation in a way that really filled out how people think about um, this area because oftentimes when people think about criminal justice reform, they think about crime has been committed. Um, so there's a criminal involved that we need to catch. We need to make sure that there, there's a penalty that's meted out uh, on that criminal. There you, there you go. You have justice. Uh, and we're trying to help people think about this issue in the fuller sense of God's justice and what does it mean to uh, be reconciled to a God who is just and also a justifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're really connecting some of those theological themes I thought made for a really good conversation. And I think people were sensitized uh, to the issue and, and, and really wanted to see how they and their local churches can begin to investigate how they can get involved in the work. And the BD, uh, I'll just say this to finish up, the BDX, a really important question that that local church leaders could take back to their, mm-hmm. their churches saying, look, if you want to get involved in this work, one of the best questions you can ask, uh, even on a Sunday morning, is, you know, how many people in here are I, touched by— I was hoping you mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that how many people really, in here are touched by yeah. this issue, whether you're a victim of crime, mm-hmm. have a loved one who's incarcerated? Um, and he would say, what you'll find is that the majority of hands will go up, right? And so you yeah. have people who are already engaging with this issue, and there you have the opportunity to, to pastorally uh, uh, minister to them. That, that was great. And uh, and teaser for Capital Conversations listeners, uh, we're going to have Heather on soon of Prison Fellowship mm. uh, to, to do a bit of a reflection on the First Step Act, uh, how it passed, how, how that came to be, the really interesting uh, coalition that mm. came around that from the Indeed. left, the center, and the right. Miraculous. Uh, yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah. And what ended up and what ended up happening, and further, what what prison fellowship is then uh, going to do moving forward, and, mm-hmm. and how and how your churches could get involved. So moving through the rest of the day, there were a lot of breakouts. So again, for our listeners, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cover a, a few of these here that we talked about. But some of the breakouts covered human trafficking and the church's response, uh, the church and mental illness, how to care for those who are suffering. Death, Disease, and the End of Life, The Church and the Humanity of the Vulnerable, a panel that I had a chance to lead, Uh, and then a breakout on how to engage your elected official on these issues, which is Mm a breakout panel, Chelsea, that you led, and and then uh, in in the rest of uh, our breakouts, we talked about how to start a pro-life ministry in your church, Uh, talked about persecution in the global church, Uh, and then uh, what it means to be pro-life and pro-woman, and then disabilities and the value of life. Uh, it was it was a really uh, engaging uh, couple of mm-hmm. uh, sessions of breakouts, which you never really know how breakouts are going to go at conferences. Mm-hmm. But I I know that uh, from my from my vantage point, moderating one of these panels, mm-hmm. that uh, I was really encouraged mm-hmm. by how engaged uh, people were. So so you know my panel dealing with death, disease, and the end of life, we we discussed a lot about. Uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, mm. and you know that that's a part of this human dignity conversation uh, that is so important for especially churches that are generally younger mm. to be thinking yeah. about because yeah, it's it's so true. easy in sort of modern Christian evangelicalism uh, to just always see somebody on stage who's in their late twenties, thirties, or maybe mm. early forties. Uh, and to not think about the value that older church members mm-hmm. uh, can bring not only to the life of the Christian in the here and now, 
but also the value that that can that that can just bring to those of us who are younger to be able to walk with somebody who is walking through that kind of end of life suffering who has seen a lot i mean just just to think about all the life that our grandparents have seen in technology alone. I mean, thinking about where we are with the iPhone for where they were when they mm-hmm. were in grade school and what kind of tech there was. Uh, and then to watch those people continue to follow the Lord throughout a long haul of life and a lot of change. And then what it looks like. So we we had a pastor from uh, Brentwood, Brentwood, Tennessee on the panel, Mike Glenn, and, and he had a personal story to share mm-hmm. about uh, his mom, who had dementia, mm. and what it was like when they switched roles, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, the son who had been taken care of by his mom, then is the caretaker as the son for his mom, and I mean, his story as as he shared, you know, there, there as as Stephen said earlier, there were a lot of people uh, that were feeling all of their feelings. He was mm-hmm. they they were in their mm-hmm. feelings, mm-hmm. and um, just to hear the grace that that he shared, and and we talked about what it looks like for the church to come around those people and and what it looks like to continue to value mm. human dignity based on nothing other mm. than being mm-hmm. made in the image of God. I mean, people who mm-hmm. cannot provide for themselves are still valuable and are still worthy of protection. And God is still on his throne and and worth worth trusting through all of those valleys that that can come in this life. And um, so so that's what that breakout mm-hmm. was about. On a less heavy mm. heavy note, Chelsea, you you let a breakout as well Did. about uh, how to engage engage your public officials. Uh, tell me about that. Who was who was on the panel? Uh, what sorts of things did you discuss with those with those who attended? Um, yeah, so we had DJ Jordan, who was most previously uh, Senator Linkford's comms director. Um, DJ had been a comms director in various capacities on the Hill for the past ten years, but recently um, left the Hill to work for. A public relations firm, but he has lots of Hill experience. We also had Michael Ware, who was President Obama's faith outreach director, um, and he's actually the youngest staffer to ever work for an administration, which is a little fun fact. And Michael wrote a book uh, called Reclaiming Hope, and it's lessons from his time in the White House. Then we had um, Kevin Terrio, who we, who is um, an attorney at Alliance Defending Freedom. And lastly, we had uh, Daryl Crouch, who is a pastor in Nashville. So we had a really unique perspective of people in the administration, people on the Hill, um, pastors, and, and then the attorney um, perspective. So it's a really good conversation. We talked pretty practically about how people could take what they've learned, whether it's criminal justice reform or adoption foster care, um, and, and take those things that they're passionate about and then go engage their elected officials, whether it's on the as local as it gets, local, county level, state level, and then federal level. So we had conversations on kind of best practices for for all of that and how to conduct yourself and how to um, best practices for reaching out to your your elected official and just things like that. And it was really neat to hear everyone's perspective from someone, again, who had worked on the Hill, who had some more nuanced things to say, to a pastor, uh, Daryl, who had done done lots of outreach to his local officials in Tennessee and had that real-world experience. So I thought it was a really good conversation, Um, some hard hitters in in that arena. Um, And then we followed up um, that conversation with an Advocacy 101 How to Advocate panel as well, which we can all talk about. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's a that's a great so that that conversation about engaging your elected mm-hmm. officials, then we gave we gave our attendees the opportunity to do that. So Lauren, we we hosted and and you really spearheaded this for our team 
a, a day of advocacy around the March for Life to say we want to give people the opportunity not only to march for life, but to then go mm. advocate mm-hmm. for life with their mm-hmm. uh, members of Congress and to meet with the staff of the senators and the representatives who cast these votes and make these decisions. So what do we do? Tell us about that. Yeah, so one of the ways that we seek to equip churches and these church leaders who came to the conference to actually engage the culture with the truth of the gospel is through directly advocating to their elected officials and their members of Congress. And Chelsea, I think one of the things that at least I came away from from the Engaging Your Elected mm-hmm. Officials panel was that the gospel and its implications cannot be separated. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that we live out the gospel every day is through political advocacy. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in a way that is honoring and glorifying God and still maintaining the truth and the consistency of the gospel. And so this year at EFL, we had the opportunity to train and equip you know, a, a group of attendees to advocate here in Washington, D.C. on a couple of topics, you know, specifically surrounding the March for Life, no taxpayer funding for abortion and in the importance of maintaining I and mean, keeping the Hyde Amendment. And so our advocacy initiative had two parts. The first was the panel that Chelsea just mentioned, more of the philosophy as well as the practical tips on how to actually engage your elected official. And then this panel really laid the foundation for understanding how do you actually engage in D.C. in front of a staffer or a member of Congress. So after the panel, we gathered several of the participants for an advocacy training session where we answered questions of the why and specifically the how of how to do advocacy. So we touched on the importance of serving our brothers and sisters and our church as well as we give voice to the voiceless and advocating for the dignity of the vulnerable. So this training covered everything from what do you do when you enter a congressional office, how to find an office mm-hmm. um, through through the basement in Capitol Hill, um, and, and, and more broadly, how we understand these issues in light of the gospel. And so this was on Thursday, and then the next day on Friday during the actual march, we brought these constituents to meetings with their congressional representatives mm-hmm. and their staff to talk about and raise these important issues. So just a few of the states that we met with, we were able to bring our constituents to meet with staff members from offices in Florida, Texas, and Indiana. And so congressional members and their staff actually do want to hear what is important to their constituents. And yeah. so the work that we do, we try to tie in the direct advocacy that our church members can do with the work that we do here every day in Washington, D.C. Representative democracy. Mm-hmm. So so Chelsea, Lauren mentioned uh, No Taxpayer for Abortion Act, mm-hmm. the Hyde Amendment, Tell us a bit more about those particular policies and what what our ask of the members of Congress was. The Hyde Amendment um, in 1976, three years after Roe v. Wade became law of the land, the Hyde Amendment was an amendment proposed to um, an appropriations bill um, nicknamed Labor H in D.C. There's a much longer title, but nicknamed Labor H in D.C., and um, Henry Hyde was actually um, a Democrat when he got to Congress, a uh, Catholic gentleman. Um, throughout his years in Congress, became a Republican, but he was also convictionally pro-life because of his Catholic background. And um, his Hyde Amendment, what it essentially does is prevent um, federal dollars um, through flowing through Medicaid and Medicare from uh, funding abortions. Um, so we were talking about that. It's been funded or attached as a on, to, onto an appropriations bill every single year since 1976, which is so over, over four 40 decades. years. Mm-hmm. 
And in the 2016 Democratic National Platform, they explicitly said that they were going after those Hyde protections. Um, so we know that this is going to be a fight this Congress. Um, so we were asking members of Congress to protect that and allow that to still be attached to the appropriations bill. Right, right. Um, but the No Taxpayer Funding um, for Abortion Act basically codifies into law. Right now it has to be done every single year. It um, writes it into the law of the land that no Medicaid dollars will be spent funding abortion. So that was another ask of ours. It's, it's a more robust bill. It does more than that. But that's basically the the right. essence of that bill. Right. And just the importance of recognizing that millions upon millions of Americans recognize abortion to be a great moral wrong mm-hmm. and do not want and should not have their taxpayer dollars funding abortion. Uh, and for the longest time, that sort of basic tenet of what it means to be a pluralistic society has has been respected mm-hmm. in the way that we think about funding mm-hmm. uh, for, for healthcare, which ERLC would advocate that this is a very simple ask, mainly because abortion is not healthcare. Uh, but but also, even those who disagree with us ought to see that our consciences ought not be seared by having our dollars be spent for something that we believe is a great moral wrong. And that, again, should be a simple ask, and it had been for for many decades, and uh, and hopefully will be again one day soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just like to make one more note on our advocacy training. We were preparing them to go on to Capitol Hill and to have those conversations with um, members of Congress and their staff. But one really important thing that we communicated to them and just to communicate to listeners is um, this can be applied at the state level. They can People can pick up the phone or send an email to, to schedule a meeting with um, a member of Congress's district staff mm-hmm. and have those same conversations there. And their own state representatives. Exactly. And exactly. local city council, mm-hmm. mayors, government at every, at every level. Mm-hmm. So, so us in D.C., we are making the case on a, a more federal level, uh, but our listeners and, and people um, that can't fly to D.C. every single week to, to advocate can do this on a, on a local level. So just to encourage people um, to take what we're talking about on this podcast and then, then go have those conversations in, in their communities. Well, and one of the things that we often talk about is people think uh, rightly in many ways that a lot of the decisions are made at the federal level. But the reason we seek to equip these pastors and church leaders is because so many of these decisions That's are right. made at the state and even right. smaller right. at the local level. So truly, if people want to have the biggest impact, especially when it comes to questions of healthcare and mm-hmm. dignity and just caring for their neighbor, their direct neighbor next door right. that is that, that is grappling with issues of, of end-of-life care, of beginning-of-life care, and every stage in between, mm-hmm. they are able to use their position of influence in their own city to talk to those elected members, those members of Congress, those officials, to be able to advocate on behalf of those who are vulnerable. That's exactly right. Our conference wrapped up Thursday evening with a conversation that Elizabeth Graham led about uh, disability and Jill's House, a ministry uh, out in McLean Bible Church. Uh, We talked about womb to tomb, defining a holistic human dignity perspective, a panel led uh, by our VP of comms, Dan Darling. Then Dr. Moore uh, sat down with Keith and Kristen Getty uh, to talk about pro-life activism in Ireland. And then Dr. Karen Ellis closed out the conference with a keynote uh, titled Pro-Life and Civil Rights, Loving Our Unborn Neighbors. 
So speaking of Keith and Kristen Getty, I think it was really neat to have them at this conference because through their music and through the lyrics that they write, they have played a role in so many of the churches gathered at the conference. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. having them bring their perspective of their music, but then having the emphasis of their talk in Dr. Moore's interview be about the pro-life movement happening in Ireland was a really neat perspective to see songwriters and artists also care deeply about the lives of the unborn Mm -hmm. and how they write music and teach their children and form consciences and hearts and minds in a way that its natural outflow is things like advocacy. Because when you have those central gospel tenets rooted in your heart, the natural outflow of that is then to advocate on behalf of those very people that we're singing about and praising God for creating. Mm. That's great. So it was an incredible conference. Uh, It was a time of, again, equipping, encouragement, and challenging for all those who attended and watched online, as well as those of us who participated in making it happen. Uh, EFL, Uh, We will be rolling out the content from EFL on our various channels, uh, and I would just encourage you to stay stay attuned to our ERLC podcast and ERLC.com for each of these keynotes and, and breakouts and panel discussions as they come out. As we're recording this, our government uh, remains to be shut down, and I mention that uh, in part because it truly affects the work that we are doing here uh, in D.C., both as an organization, but also for each of us as individual church members. Uh, I know that my church here on Capitol Hill uh, is being very active in seeking to care for uh, both the physical and the spiritual and emotional needs of those federal government workers who uh, have gone now 31 days, uh, either working or uh, being furloughed, uh, but either way without a paycheck, and all the ramifications that it has throughout the city. Uh, So I would just encourage those of us uh, who are thinking about this government shutdown and watching the politics of it all play out on TV Uh, to remember to spend some time in prayer uh, for those government workers who are out of work, who are without a paycheck, uh, and to remember those leaders, uh, to pray for our leaders, that they would come to a wise uh, conclusion of this shutdown and and open it back up so that our... uh, so that our, our neighbors who are being uh, hurt through the first, second, and third degree ramifications uh, of this uh, would, would be able to, to go back to work um, and in the most basic ways of providing for their families. The ERLC will continue to monitor the conversations around the government shutdown uh, as it relates to our interest in seeing immigration reforms and for any kind of opportunity uh, to advocate uh, not only for border security as we have, uh, but for a permanent solution uh, for those in our uh, country who are here known as uh, dreamers. For more on that, you can see our evangelical leader statement uh, of principles on dreamers on our website, which we will link to in the show notes. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C., Thanks to our production team, Gary Lancaster, Marie Delph, Conrad Close, for getting this episode published online. Resources from the conversation are available at ERLC.com, along with additional podcasts, videos, and articles to equip you and your church. <laughs>